Welcome to our Black Magical History Month spaces, Twitter Spaces conversation. Um, Black Magical History Month is a month-long celebration of Black magical stories, characters, and fans. And we at Black Nerds Create have been doing this for six years now, which is exciting. I am Robin. I'm the co-founder and chief operating officer of Black Nerds Create. Um, and I'm super excited because today we're joined by some very special guests for our panel, Fantasy More Than an Escape. Um, so if we could just um, kind of ping pong here and you can introduce yourself, uh, your name and your pronouns, what you do, and then what got you into fantasy stories. Um, uh, Dr. Moya, do you want to start? Hi. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, thanks for having me on this panel. It was really nice to get the invitation. I am Dr. Moya McTeer. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I am an astrophysicist which might be like, what, why, why are you here? Uh, but I'm also a folklorist and a science communicator and a professional world builder. Um, one of my favorite ways to communicate science, one of my favorite projects that I do now is a world building podcast called Exolore, where I either build a brand new world um, or analyze uh, and break down a world that's already been built, like Wheel of Time or um, Avatar's Pandora or something. And... Uh, are we are we answering why we how we got into fantasy here too? Is that yes, know? please yes. Love to hear that. Um, my mom, when she had me, was studying for her comps in a, an English PhD program, and so she was reading a lot. Um, I was surrounded by books. My first toys were books. So she instilled within me a deep love of reading. But she's also like a D and D type nerd. So that reading was heavily bent towards the fantasy track, and I ran with it. I love anything with fairies, dragons, um, anything set in like like an alternative Earth type of thing. So it, it's my mom. She 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 got me into it. Awesome. And uh, Raven, do you want to introduce yourself, names, pronouns, what you do, and what got you into fantasy? Yeah, sure. Hi. So um, I'm Raven, and I just was. I want to say, Dr. Moya, that's such a cool project that you've got going on. I'm, I'm really interested to hear more about it. But um, oh, so, yeah, I'm Raven. Uh, pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I am a visiting assistant professor of media studies uh, by day. And uh, by night, I am a novelist uh, slash essayist. So usually writing when I'm not teaching. Um, and I think the thing that got me into fantasy, um, I mean, I've, I've always been a reader. My parents are both people who love books and kept books around me. My, my mom was a fifth grade teacher. She's retired now. Um, but I had access to pretty much all of the best stories for kids cause she had them all, um, in her classroom. She, I could bring them home. But the fantasy in particular, um, I think definitely came from my dad who was very, very big into, um, sort of like superhero movies, um, and sort of anything that was sci-fi. So I grew up on a, a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, kind of coming into it in my own, I, I think one particular benefit of being, a uh, born in the nineties is that there was such a cool culture of fantasy and sci-fi for kids, um, in the aughts. So, um, your typical stories are what got me into it, but that's how I'm here. Oh, and I, I guess I should probably say my dissertation was on 
black girls and women in um, fantasy new media narratives. So I think that's also probably why folks invited me here today. So that's me. Wow. That's a lot. That's so great. Um, (laughs) I love when people are like, this is what I do. And then it's like, so many things. We have astrophysicists and visiting professors. Um, Bezzy, could you let us know your name and pronouns, what you do, and what got you into fantasy? Sure. And of course, I am honored to be in such amazing company. I mean, literally, when we started with astrophysicists, I was like, okay, well, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm a have to follow that up. But I uh, currently work in marketing and children's publishing. Um, and I also do book reviews on Bookstagram and, you know, also try and write a little bit. Uh, my master's was on a uh, black woman in fantasy uh, media, specifically like adaptations and looking at how black characters in fantasy, especially in the early and mid 2000s, uh, were created and how they were adapted or colorblind cast in particular from certain stories um, and how that disrupted the stories themselves. Um, that thesis shaped a lot, came out of, and then also shaped what a lot of what I'm passionate about, which is uh, looking at and understanding how uh, Black characters in fantasy and Black fantasy itself is being created and recreated in books and in TV shows and in movies today. Um, but in addition to that, which was sort of my like retroactive focus as I look back on the media that I grew up with, um, I loved fantasy from a young age, but I loved fantasy um, despite sort of what I had grown up with. Uh, my parents are both amazing, but they're both STEM people. So initially to me, fantasy was an escape because I wasn't really, I knew I really loved reading, uh, but I didn't know exactly what I could do with it. Um, so I just was sort of imagining different worlds and imagining the the different spaces that were presented to me through these stories. Narnia, Tolkien, you know, all the, all the classics of that time um, and still today. But those are the things I grew up with that I loved. And then as I got older, realized that a lot of the stories that I loved did not love me back. Uh, the few black characters that existed there were not well-shaped, were not well-developed, and so that became something of my focus as I wanted to go into medieval studies um, and did medieval studies in my undergrad and graduate degree, how to figure out what about fantasy was still something I could connect to and love uh, when the stories that I had initially grown up with weren't for me, and that's how I studied this, you know, found authors like N.K. Jemisin and Octavia Butler in college that really revived my love for fantasy and helped me understand how to retroactively look at stories and understand my place in them and understand what was possible, not, you know, in spite of race and identity, but because of it, what made black fantasy stories so unique and exciting um, because they imagined worlds that were different based on and incorporating, you know, race and identity instead of, you know, trying to shunt them. So that was a very long answer to all that question, but that's, hopefully sums up how I got into fantasy and also um, what I do, because I feel like both of those things are so entangled at this point. No, that's wonderful. And like really is a kind of the root of like how we got to this topic and why we wanted to do this panel. So um, I love a good, you know, tie in. 
Um, just before we I go into the first question, I'm Robin Jordan. Like I said, I'm the co-founder and COO of Black Nerds Create. My pronouns are her, she, her, they, they. I can never do that in the right order. Um, I um, got into fantasy through reading as a young kid and um, a lot of like science fiction fantasy stories that really like spoke to me. Um, that is my niece who just woke up and wants to be a part of the conversation. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so I'm super excited to be leading this conversation and I'm hoping I will, I will mute soon. I'm hoping that we can just like have a very, you know, casual, inclusive conversation. Anyone in the audience, if someone says something that sparks a thought, please raise your hand and I'll try to get you up. Um, but first, I just wanted to know, like, what, in your opinion, makes a great fantasy story? And either anyone can answer this. We can bounce off each other. But, like, when you hear people doing their kind of elevator pitch about a story, what is what are those elements that make you go, yes, I'm in there? I can start. Um, and I'm going to, I think I'm going to stay unmuted so I can like, you can hear me reacting because the other two speakers, Raven, Bezzy, you're both saying amazing things and I, I just need to react. Um, but for me, a fantasy story is really good if it has a good world. If the world has been built in a way that makes it seem interesting and immersive, but still familiar, like something that I could imagine myself in, um, that's that's what I want to see from from fantasy stories. Because I feel like once you once you have the world, um, there, there are a lot of good stories that can fill it and you can have good writing to do that. But, um, I, I need to see the rules and the magic system. I need to, I need it all to be coherent and make sense. Uh, that's, what's really interesting to me. I, I love that. And I can, I can kind of speak next. Um, so I, I agree with world building. I think my particular interest is always going to be um, sort of like the characters and who um, we end up putting in this world. And I think, so I actually think they go together, right? Because I think mm-hmm. um, if you have like a really strongly built character, right? That tension between the character and the world, like what, like what about this character makes them not fit with this world like what is that tension what is that what is that conflict um between who they are in in their essence and who that world wants them to be like I think the two of them are like very tied but I I I would say that my particular interest is just is in that character right and I think relatedly not just that central character but the whole cast right like I feel like there have been some I've read some like really beautiful fantasy books where the world is like totally built out so well the infrastructure is amazing but like if I don't care about the characters right like if I don't care about how they're interacting with that beautiful world I lose all interest right so for me I think having a really interesting set of core characters um, is always going to be what draws me in yeah yeah, Raven, I think we've actually even talked about this, but I agree with you. I think I love world building. I love really interesting, um, you like worlds, especially worlds we haven't seen before or worlds, um, to quote Ebony Elizabeth, Dr. Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, um, worlds that were never, never were the idea mm. that it's sort of looking into the past and reshaping 
worlds in certain ways according to certain rules and discovering the extent of those rules, not just like, you know, maybe time travel narratives, but things like, you know, alternate histories and things like Mm -hmm. that, I find really interesting and complex and exciting. And then also alternate worlds and things like that. However, Mm -hmm. uh, like Raven said, if there's this really exciting world that doesn't have a core cast of characters to ground me in the world, it kind of feels like I'm set adrift. And I'm just sort of observing all of the the beautiful scenery and language and everything that's really exciting. But uh, the characters are really what ground me in a in a good fantasy. Um, and I think that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean we have to understand those characters. Uh, right. I found very interesting in like fantasies that I've read recently and sort of trends that I've noticed in fantasy. Um, the idea of the um, I guess unlikable protagonist. I don't know if that's quite ex- it, but the idea that you have a really you have a protagonist that you are following them in their story, and their story takes three steps forward and two steps back in certain ways. And through that messy, messy journey, you're learning about the world. You're learning about their relationships mm-hmm. with the rules of the world, like Raven said, and you're learning about their relationships with other people. And there's something very grounded and human and understanding about that because that's, you know, us, you know, in our regular Mm -hmm. lives, but they exist in a world that's not ours. And I find that, uh, that contrast and that tension so interesting and exciting because it forces us to imagine what traits and characteristics that we have would exist and how they would be used in a world that had different rules than our own. Um, Mm -hmm. like the trope about, you know, like a magic user who, uses magic to make their life convenient, you know, and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. something happens and they have to confront the consequences of their actions. You know, that's, it's very, it's like the kind of mundaneness of it, even if the world is extra fantastical and super insane is what keeps me grounded in the good fantasy. Mm -hmm. I love that both of you were like, character is so great. And I, I, I agree, (laughs) but I love an exposition dump. I know it's Mm -hmm. not good writing, but Um, If you just want to give me a whole chapter about the lore of your world and, like, (laughs) the the hierarchy of this, like, mage society, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm there for it 100%. But I love that, too. There's something for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. There's something for everyone, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's nice. It's one of the nice things about fantasy because if – well, I I almost exclusively read fiction. I don't read much nonfiction. And uh, it's nice – in fantasy, because you get the world building, you you have to have a good story, and you do have to have good characters. And maybe that's why mm-hmm. it never really clicked with me that I uh, pay much attention to characters. Because in fantasy, like you have you have to have good mm-hmm. characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so one other thing that I I want to mention because when when Vezi said. Um, that she and I have had this conversation. It's worth mentioning that we, for for a time, had a fantasy podcast. So sometimes we may we may um, like reference things that we talked about on that podcast that we had together for a time. So I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, it's a it was called Dreaming in the Dark. It is called Dreaming in the Dark, um, and we were really lucky to have some amazing black fantasy yeah. characters on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it was just it was really fun, and I, it is really fun. I still every once in a while I'll listen to an episode and be like, wow, we really got into it. And I think there's just a lot of nerddom intersections that uh, Raven and I have shared, and I think it's yeah. so cool. Like, I, and even a community like Black Nerds Create, like seeing all the different ways that Black 
women and black girls have been drawn to fantasy, Um, even fantasy that excluded us, you know, for so long, Mm -hmm. but seeing the communities that we shaped and found in those spaces. And then now, you know, even more of the community being formed, this is off topic, but it's just like, it's something that has been really exciting to see, especially as more and more like black creators are writing mainstream or are being published in mainstream fantasy. Um, That's, it's just really exciting to see that community continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. For sure. Oh man, I love everything that was just said there. <laughs> it was like, I think too, like when you talk about like the communities and stuff, I think kind of what you were talking about, Bezzy, when you don't see yourself in those stories that like really grip you and like even the ones that you love, right? There are a lot of stories that I really love, um, but not in not seeing myself, it's hard, right? Because it's like, well, Fantasy, you know, is about escapism to a certain extent, but like I also want to escape. And so if I don't, if I, where, where, am, where am I? Where are my people? Where is my culture in these worlds? Right. And so mm. um, I think that having that community come up, especially when you think about like fan works of a lot of these um, properties that we didn't see ourselves in, a lot of it is just trying to figure out where in these worlds um, that speak to us and call to us, we would fit in. And I think that that is, you know, such, it's, such, it's such a wonderful feeling now to see the, the stories being made and published and um, getting a lot of attention where we don't have to kind of shoehorn ourselves in, right? We're already there. We're the main character. And, um it's just a really exciting thing. Um, so my, my next question to everyone, and again, um, feel free to raise your hands if you're listening um, and you have things that you want to add. This is an open conversation. We have these three amazing speakers and panelists, and they're giving us their um, points of view from a, from a point of knowledge. But um, that doesn't mean that we're not all fans and we're not some of us creators and, you know, that we don't all have opinions worth hearing. So my next question is, what is it about the escapism in fantasy that does appeal to you as a fan or a reader or a writer? I'm going to say something and then immediately hand it off to the other two speakers because I'm still (laughs) developing the thought. Um, And I love that the conversations like this are great because then I can like throw something out there and then let everybody run with it um, and then figure it out as I listen to amazing people talk. But (laughs) (laughs) it's really it. Uh, But I think that part of that, that answer to me is the fact that fantasy is at its core to me about the idea of imagination like what the possibility of what you can imagine the furthest possibility of what you can imagine is what you can create Mm. and for so long in loving fantasy for about me was about poking at that edge like what is the furthest possibility of the thing I can imagine Mm. um that was the escaping part of it but it was also Mm -hmm. the like representation part of it because I wanted to figure out especially as a kid, you know, reading fantasy, you're trying to figure out you're you're coming of age and you're looking at what media is available to you and you're learning about yourself through media that it's, you know, Mm -hmm. part of that coming of age. And so I would 
poke in these fantasy stories metaphorically and try and see what the what the craziest possible thing that could be imagined was and try to imagine myself in that and try to imagine what I would be, who I would be when I grew up and came into myself was almost the equivalent of a fantasy, you know, like the the, the fantastical, like grown up version of me. I was like, oh, I'm going to be so smart and figure things out. And I, in some ways, I don't know how much of that was the escapism, is the escapism of it, and then how much of it was the trying to figure out what what the limits of imagination were. Um, and so I wonder, you know, what the title of this uh, space being, you know, more than an escape, like what what can fantasy be beyond escapism, I think is also when, when this space was... Um, when you reached out to me about the space was very interesting to me because I have been thinking a lot about that. Like what is, what is fantasy beyond like what, how far can we push fantasy in the imagination and what are the edges of that? Are there edges to it? You know? Anyway, that's the end of the thought. I'm still developing it. No, I love it. I love it. And I love it because I feel like this is part of the reason why both you and I have returned to Toni Morrison so often, Mm -hmm, Um, even mm -hmm. though Toni Morrison is not like explicitly a fantasy Mm -hmm. person. um, She is someone that is very interested in the the, the potential and the limits of imagination. She's someone that takes very seriously the idea of dreaming and daydreaming and seeing what can be made out of what happens when you let your mind go free, right? Like when you really try to wrestle with the chains, right? And I think that, ah, yeah. So I, I love that. And I love, you know, this idea that it's it's not so much about escape, maybe. Maybe the word's not really escape. Maybe the word is like, um, what can your mind do? What can what can fantasy help you do that frees your mind up a little bit? That like takes some of the limits off, takes some of the weights off, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. so that's what I'm thinking of as Bezzy, you were speaking. That makes me think of something that I love to explore and exploit in my world building work. Um, and it's to help people question their default assumptions about what the world has to be, which is a lot easier when you're consuming sci-fi or fantasy, because the point of those worlds is that they are different and that some limit that we have in our reality is removed. Mm-hmm. Like you can read a fantasy mm-hmm. book and really start to question, oh, why, why can't I um, speak to dead people or why, why can't I have magic or like that's, that's extreme. And that's like not possible in the real world, but even cultural things like, Oh, why, why is patriarchy the, the default in our society and our culture right now? Why is a money system the, the default that we have? You know, I think that, uh, if you consume enough speculative fiction, you get into the mental exercise of imagining mm-hmm. a different way that the world could be, which is, mm-hmm. is uh, like, that's the language that, that I translated in my head when you were saying like mm-hmm. expanding the limits of what's yeah. possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I love that, that sort of exercise, the, the, the framework, the language there of like, and this mental exercise, because once I, st- because I will tell you, like, once I started to make the connection between like fantasy as a mental exercise, I started mm-hmm. to also make com- connections between like abolition and sort of 
making, imagining a different world for us. Like I started to make that connection. And that's, I think, another way that fantasy can be more than an escape. It can actually, it literally gives us the tools to think mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. how our world could fundamentally be different, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. I think to, to pull in, because um, the title of our, our podcast, Ravens and I, like I said, was Dreaming in the Dark, but I think another D word here is discovery that I find mm-hmm. really interesting, that there's there's an element of, and I think part of it why is why fantasy is so appealing to kids, but why it's also timeless and ageless is the idea that you're discovering the world as a child. You're, so everything about it is in some ways fantastical because you're, you're still learning about it. Um, and then the limits that you run up against, you know, limits like, like you said, Dr. Moy, about like race and class and, and all of the intersectional ways that oppression exists in the world. Those are limits you're running up against in the real world. And, you know, you as a child are discovering them and you're like, okay, I can't get past this in the real world, but what would it be like if I could get it? Like, what would it be like if the world existed in a different way than I am learning about how it's existing now? Um, and I think there's something very uh, instinctual and like, you know, young about the idea that you're trying to rediscover the world as it should be and not as it is. Um and again, this is, we're talking about good fantasy here. You know, we're talking about <laughs> fantasy that is in, doing the work to inspire and uh, recreate things. We're not talking about fantasy that recreates systems of oppression very didactically into its own spaces, because I think there's a lot of fantasy like that. And it's very frustrating to see because it doesn't know how to take advantage of, um, for example, a cast, a diverse cast. If you throw a cast of characters of color, um, and I'm thinking particularly like media, movies, and shows, uh, if you throw a cast of characters of color into a world that simply recreates systems of oppression in a fantastical setting, you're not going to get squat because it's a very boring story to see that happen over and over again. But if you have a story that's really committed to the ways in which, how, how do, what does it mean to bring characters in? characters with diverse identities and backgrounds um, and cultures into a world that is created differently or has mm-hmm. to reshape itself. You know, what are the, what are the limits? What are the challenges that they come up against, but how are they different than what we see now? And what are the things we can discover about our world from that? Um, mm-hmm. That's, I think like Raven said, there, there's power in that as a mental exercise and there's power in that as a, um, as a way to create tools to then take back to our real world and say, okay, mm-hmm. if it can be done in the imagination, how would we translate mm-hmm. that into the political imagination even? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. One thing I've always really appreciated about fantasy across different media platforms, like uh, movies versus TV shows versus reading, is that I, I really started heavily with reading fantasy. And and I would, I would love to know... Um, Raven and Bezzy, if you had this experience or if I was just a weirdo, but I, when I was reading fantasy, I just assumed everyone was like me. I did. Like, unless it was explicitly written otherwise. And it very rarely is. It's very rarely explicitly written that a a main character is white. Um, It's usually implied or uh, assumed by the audience. But my assumption was just that everyone was black or that everyone was 
not white. And so Mm -hmm. it was kind of jarring for me when I started watching fantasy because then I didn't have Mm -hmm. that luxury of of that type of escape. Like reading fantasy for me Mm -hmm. was escaping to a world where I could choose that everyone I was surrounded by, because I really do read in an immersive (laughs) way. Like I visualize myself in the story, in the world. Um, that is that escape of choosing to be around black people, especially because I grew up in a very um, rural, white, conservative area. That w- that was a power that fantasy gave me. Wow, that's amazing! And I did not have that experience reading. And I can tell yeah. you exactly the moment yeah. when <laughs> I realized I would not have that moment reading. Right? Yeah. There, there's a there's a possibility that before this happened, I might have assumed everyone was like me, Mm -hmm. but, and I tell this and I say, you know, like with all of the, with all the acknowledgement, um, about around, um, JK Rowling's turfness, but like, this is, it's around Harry Potter. But I remember in the fifth grade, Angelina Johnson having the fifth book had come out and Angelina Johnson had braids and the girls, the Slytherin girls were making fun of her. And we wanted to play Harry Potter on the playground. And I wanted to be that like, I knew that I knew then that even in fantasy, if Mm -hmm. someone was going to identify the difference, then that one person had to be different from everybody else. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. I couldn't, Mm -hmm. I couldn't then assume that everybody else was like me because mm-hmm. once Angelina got singled out in that way, I was like, okay, well, everybody else is, has to be white then. Yeah. And they, I, and I remember like them not wanting to like, not even, they didn't, they didn't even remember who that was. Like they didn't even know who that character was, but I was very attached mm-hmm. to Angelina Johnson as a 11 year old. So that's mm-hmm. why I didn't have that experience. Oh. I remember that as well. And I also want to say, I would have loved to be friends with you, Dr. Moya, growing up. Because, like, I also yes. grew up, it wasn't rural. I grew up in Orange County. It was, like, suburban, but it was very, very white. And I and I did, I never, I mean, I guess, like, Raven, like, maybe I did and I just don't remember because I so vividly remember the otherness of, of it all. And Harry Potter was, like, also, you know, acknowledging all of, all of the all of it um, was very like formative to me and I I did very clearly remember like oh no people make fun of my hair <laughs> like when I'm in school mm-hmm. this is yeah. very much like, yeah. like and, and I think that's one of the things about um what kind of Bezzy was talking about too when you think about like good fantasy at reimagining things like I've always been drawn to kind of alternative history and I and I was really big into like environmentalism and thinking about what would have happened back when cars are being created if we would have just went with electric electric cars like they were they were being created at the same time and yet we made this um decision to go with you know carbon and look at all of the havoc and the butterfly effects of that and i and i remember always looking at alternative history stories coming out and being like, why is this the thing that they choose? Like the Confederate, what if the Confederacy won? What if the mm. Nazis won? And I and so I do think about how othering that is sometimes, where it's like mm-hmm. you're you're in that position to get to make stories, and those stories are being like 
shared with the world and this is the this is what you want to explore <laughs> like what yeah. if we did more of this oppressed oppression I don't understand um and it kind of like brings me into the you know the next question of like when you realize that fantasy was able to shed light on your own world and you know when you thought about like oh these are even though we are in a different time or space or whatever these are still mirrors to what what I'm seeing in my real life yeah yeah, I think also, and then maybe also tie into um, Dr. Moya's question, or discussion point earlier about the idea of, like, you know, reading versus watching. Um, I loved reading fantasy, but like uh, Raven and Robin said, I was not, I unfortunately did not see everyone as Black, but the, I think part of that was that in my day-to-day life um I grew up uh, my both my parents are Ethiopian immigrants and there was there's a tension that still exists with the idea of blackness um particularly in like African immigrant communities um there's like uh a, an acknowledgement but you, uh, a distancing it's it's a tension and there's a lot of complex layers to it but growing up as a kid I didn't really understand there, there were no tools that were given to me to understand race. And so I didn't really even understand myself what blackness meant, let alone what it meant in a, like what it meant in me, let alone what it meant in other people. Um, and so I really didn't know how to identify it. And I think that's a lot of the reason why I still struggle with color. Like I, I struggle with the idea of colorblindness and I'm looking for it in a lot of works because it still exists in a lot of fantasy stuff, especially the idea that People think that they can take race out of a thing when they don't acknowledge a person's skin color. They're like, oh, it's gone. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, it's still there um, because race is not an inherently negative thing. It is culture like there's so much that builds a racial identity that is so interesting and layered and complex that in a good fantasy story and fantasy stories by a lot of black creators gets built into the story itself and makes the fantasy more exciting, makes it more interesting. But for a long time, um, I didn't understand that. And I think one of the first stories that helped me understand that was who I've already cited already, but I'll cite her again, N.K. Jemisin, um, because I read A Hundred Thousand Kingdoms and that was it, it is interesting because I think a lot of people first read N.K. Jemisin and first read for this season, which is an incredible book. I love it. But Hundred Thousand Kingdoms is interesting because it's close to traditional fantasy like traditional epic fantasy. And so it was a good starting point for me because I was still kind of feeling my way out of traditional epic fantasy and I wanted I needed something that gave me that that easing into the next like looking at black fantasy. And I think that's a hundred thousand kingdoms was that transition for me. And it also was when I sort of flipped a switch, so to speak, in that I was reading Yanine and how interesting and layered of a character she is. And I was like, wow, I relate to her a lot. And I was like, this is so cool. I've, you know, I've never really related to a character in this way. And the more I was reading about NK Jemison and I was reading a hundred thousand kingdoms at the time for my thesis in undergrad. Um, and the more I was looking at, you know, all the things N.K. Jemison was saying about weaving, you know, blackness into the story and how she thought about blackness, how she thought about fantasy, the more I was like, oh, part of the reason maybe why I am so resonating with this character is not in spite of her identity, but because of it, you know? 
And that became sort of the first fumbling steps that I took again at the grown age of, of 20. Um, but better late than never, I guess, um, to understand what black fantasy was and to understand the possibilities that existed in Afrofuturism and, and fantasy by black creators. Um, but it took a long time because I think a lot of it was just me understanding fundamentally first what blackness was. Um, and there's no easy answer to that, but a lot of it is discovered in the idea of imagination. How do we imagine blackness? Mm. Well, there's a huge difference between a, a writer or some sort of uh, creator who is putting blackness and black stories and black characters into their work because they feel like they have to because uh, the culture is calling for it versus someone, uh, usually someone who is black, um, but not always, who is putting those elements in the story to, to help or to explore or to educate. Like there's, you can tell when someone is doing it just to meet some sort of uh, wokeness quota, which is extremely offensive and annoying. Um, but I, I, when I saw this question, the first thing, the first story that came to mind is not by a, a black author. Um, it's Tamara Pierce's trickster duology, uh, which has, and I know Tamara Pierce has come under fire in the past, but she has learned from the the feedback, from the critique from her readers and audience. And specifically in the trickster duology, the whole, the whole story, the whole plot is uh, like a, a story about basically freeing enslaved people. Um, and it, there was this imagery that she used in the book of this secret symbol that like the rebels would use. And it was a, a broken chain. And I, I got so into that iconography of like a, a broken chain. I literally painted it on my walls in my bedroom. I doodled it on all of my notebooks um, because I grew up in a very conservative place where they did not teach us the history of slavery. And I had to learn it on my own. And I saw it in this book in a way that I thought was really beautiful, but removed enough from the real history on earth that it wasn't just heartbreaking. And I think that's one of the more powerful things that fantasy can do. It can get you to come right up to the edge of a really difficult topic and explore it in a way that doesn't endanger your mental health. Because um, I, I love N.K. Jemisin. She's fantastic and talented and her books are amazing. But I, I could not make it through the Broken Earth trilogy because it hurt my soul too much. It's Black Magical History Month, the month-long event we created here at Black Nerds Create to celebrate Black magical stories, characters, and fans. When you support us on Patreon and become a BNC baddie, you're not only helping us make magic across our various platforms every February, you're supporting us in our mission to advocate for and contribute to meaningful representation in media, fantasy, and otherwise for Black folks. Plus, baddies get cool perks like monthly live streams, behind-the-scenes, and bonus content at any tier. If you're feeling generous this magical season, you can drop a few rupees, credits, or gold dragons to a good cause over at patreon.com slash blacknerdscreate. Um, I just wanted to welcome Kay up on stage. Hi, Kay. Uh, let, um, if you could let us know your pronouns and um, then ask your question. Happy to hear, or, or your, give us your statement or whatever. We're happy to hear from you. 
Uh, hi, Robin. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Kay Alexandra. Um, member uh, she, her uh, pronouns. And um, first off, this panel's amazing. Um, I've just gotten so many um, ideas and uh, books to read, which as the TBR list grows. So that's my heart. Um, I've really been wrapped in um, you all's conversation about um, es- um, escapism, particularly for black and brown characters. Um, I, too, was an Angelina Johnson stan. Um, and I won, and I... I used to be so infuriated that characters like that never became the hero. Like we never saw them have their like their come up into moment of like show. I mean, Angelina within her realm and within the author's like limited scope gave her like enough, not even enough, but like bits and pieces where you can see that personality in her. Um, but I wonder too, especially now, like, um, I'm reading a lot of middle grade fantasy because those are the students that I teach. Um, and I wonder, especially as they, as they fall in love with Amari, as they fall in love with, um, as they fall in love with, uh, gosh, I'm forgetting her name from Legendborn. Bree. 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 Tracy Dion. Our girl. We love it. Um, and my students ask me all the time, like, yes, we're glad to see black people and black girls in particular be on the hero's journey, but is the... It, is that the automatic default for black characters within your story, especially when race is still a part of the fantastical element, right? Like, I mean, obviously Brie still being in North Carolina and Amari still being in Atlanta, like blackness and class and are still wrapped up in this and even in their magical worlds. Right. So it's kind of like, do we ever let, black fantasy just rest or is it always like you have the responsibility and the accountability to face both race and whatever magical catastrophe is happening um i think if i understand if i'm so if i misunderstand what you're saying please jump in and correct me but i i think it's interesting that you cite both Legendborn and Amari because um, Amari and the Night Brothers, I believe, is the first book. But um, because I think those are those are a particular type of contemporary fantasy, right? That's that's one subgenre of fantasy that is sort of is thriving right now, which is really great. We love both of those stories, um, as you heard. We both, uh, <laughs> you know, we love Legendborn here, um, but I think there are other subgenres of fantasy that are also being written in they're just you know maybe they 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 the thing about discussing fantasy by black creators right now there's a lot of exciting books being published and that exist especially as someone who works in publishing um but it not all of those stories are getting the attention the same the same amount of attention or the marketing or whatever um and i think that that's also part of the challenge that 
in different ways a lot of us are trying to uh change is you know how do how do we promote um and I use this word in the truest sense, like a diverse amount of stories by black creators, you know, like a variety, not just one type of story all the time, which is not to say that type of story is bad because I love those, that type of story, but it's, it's any genre, any story, any story form deserves um, as many variations on a concept, as many variations on a theme as possible. So if that is part of it. And then the other part of it, I think is if you want recommendations, um, for other stories, I think um, A Song of Race and Ruin by Roseanne Brown is an alt-world black fantasy. The It is a duology, and it has a bittersweet ending, but it is an alt-world fantasy that is not necessarily dealing in the same types of race and class per se commentary as a, a real-world contemporary fantasy would be doing. Um I'm looking at my shelf right now and looking, I'm like, like glancing through different titles. There are like, there's others, but the, again, they're different. The Marvelers by Danielle Clayton has some of it, but again, it's some, it's somewhat of a contemporary fantasy. It's somewhat of an alt world fantasy. Um, hundred thousand kingdoms, which I cited earlier is completely an alt world fantasy. I think it just depends on, I guess what you're looking for, not just you, just in general, like anyone who's looking for that diversity of types of fantasy worlds there are there are ways to approach fantasy that aren't just um incorporating the magical into the real world because incorporating the magical into the real world does mean you do have to confront and deal with what being a black lead means um but there are ways to do it elegantly and thoughtfully and i i think those authors do it but i think there's it's fine to want something different as well and you can definitely look for those authors and creators who are doing that work so i i wonder also in that question um and this is just like me like wondering about it because it also feels like your your interest is in stories where like they can be black they can be magical they can be fantastic but they're not necessarily the chosen one right like they're not necessarily also like ha- they just like magical advent- adventure but like not the weight of the world not not the like cla- the race and class commentary and then also not the sort of like weight of the world rest on my shoulders like is there a space for literally black kids to just go on magical adventures <laughs> and um like not that not have like all of those other responsibilities as well so that's kind of so like i'm also hearing like not necessarily chosen one stories is that is that correct uh yeah i definitely want to diversify both me and my students taste um in fantasy and i think that we as a as a class like are like these were such good stories but they're so heavy in the reality of what we already know like we're already um confronting blackness we're already confronting classism we're already confronting bullying things like that so it's it's like oh where where are the stories where yeah like where black people and black kids just go immerse themselves in magic and the fantastical and just kind of just get to B, not to say that there is no conflict, but it's just very different from being Black in America with magic. Um, so 
this is not a book and it's not magical fantasy. It's more, I, I still think of like science fiction fantasy. Um, but I immediately thought of the Killjoys, which like was a, on um, the, um, uh, the show, right? Channel, the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I love and, Killjoys. And Dutch. And I think, um, they'll say a Kendry might've been black. She, I know that the actress is Vietnamese Canadian, but I, she, she reads, you know, race is also a, a societal construct, but she reads like a little bit mm-hmm. of black as well. Um, and then pre is another character and he is black and gay. And like, they, Blackness is not, um, there is definitely class issues um, in the story, and there is a lot of, like, fantastical elements, especially once you get, like, in the later seasons. Um, And I think that sometimes, you know, I know you just have to kind of go into different worlds. Again, it's not an exact fit for what you're you're looking for, but... um, I kind of agree with what Bezzy was saying about like kind of going deeper and finding those subgenres, um, and then kind of also knowing the fact of how lazy the media can be in terms <laughs> of like you know yeah. the chosen one story has been the story, so those are the ones that we hear about, and those are the ones mm-hmm. that get a lot of attention, and that is a lot to do with like the media and these big corporations not wanting to take risk or not wanting to um, are, are are trying to trying to go for kind of a sure thing. Um, so it it does take a little bit more work on the reader's part, but then you know that's why you have people like. Portia, who's in the audience here, who, um, you know, Bevy does um, book reviews and stuff like that. And you just have to kind of like find those people on book talk, on, on bookstagram um, mm-hmm. and, and ask them uh, for those questions. And, and then, yeah, I, I personally am like, go to the sci-fi channel. <laughs> It's a lot of Canadian stuff, but they're there. It's so funny. Yeah, I I agree with that. And also, while just to say one more thing that I also remembered another recommendation, if you're interested, is um, an anthology that just came out, Cool Awkward Black, um, which was edited by uh, Karen Strong, who is amazing and has all of the like up in these amazing black fantasy authors and black authors in general in that anthology. Um, But it is an anthology about being black and fantastical and nerdy. Um, not every single story in the anthology is fantastical per se, but a lot of them are, and a lot of them are about being nerdy and like the conflicts, there are conflicts, but they're not like end of the world conflicts necessarily. So that's something, again, you want to check out that I think that would be fun for you and or your students. But yeah, I think exactly like Dr. Moya said, I think it, it unfortunately, it still requires a lot of research and digging right now to find the kinds of stories you're asking for. It's not to say that they don't exist, though, because I think they do. Um, and I think there's a lot of Black creators who are asking the same questions. Um, but it's a, we're, we are still in our real life, you know, it, these creators are still operating in spaces that are working from the existing fantasy tropes um, the as established by mainstream white fantasy. And so there's critique and there's retellings and there's reimaginings, and those often get more attention just because they work from what people know. And I have one more resource, and then I promise I will, like, let this go. I have one more resource. Um, 
So Dr. Stephanie Tolliver, who is at, I believe, the University of Colorado Boulder. I could be lying. I might be messing up her university. But um, Dr. Tolliver has this really amazing um, curated website that's basically this long-form database of, like, as many black um, YA and middle grade, um, fantasy books in series as she can like document. Um, and it's called reading black futures, um, reading black futures. I don't know whether it's .net or .com. I'm not sure. I can look it up to, to make sure, but she has, there's nothing really about them, but like there, there is that, that is one place that you could start to just kind of like scour some titles because she, she collects them basically. She collects and curates this list and she updates it, I think quarterly. And that's been part of her, part of her literacy project. So it's Dr. Stephanie Tolliver. If you search her up and it's called reading, uh, black futures. Hold on. Yeah. Reading black futures.com. Yep. Awesome. Thank y'all so much. And I, I really didn't mean for that to dissolve into recommendations because I was really just thinking about like, does do black characters in fantasy have this accountability towards addressing race? Um, which was more so my essential question. But thank oh, you. sorry, then that's no. my bad. Um, that's definitely my bad because I took us in that direction. But hopefully the recommendations are helpful. But um, no, they absolutely you- are. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. But it's but it's I but I see what you mean now and I apologize cuz I I diverted us, but um I think to maybe start that then and then again to kick it off, but uh I don't I don't think even in contemporary fantasy black characters have to hold that accountability, but I think there is something interesting about how different ways that you address uh, that a creator can address that accountability that especially as a teenager, there are a lot of ways in which you feel like the weight of the world is, you know, like everything feels like the end of the world. There's something very inherently dramatic about, you know, teenage and like, you know, <laughs> adolescence. And that's something that's been exploited in fantasy for a long time. You know, the idea that like, the stakes always feel like the end of the world because as a kid, you're like, you know, my crush doesn't like me back. I'm just, Everything's the world over. is ending. Yeah, that's it. I can't talk to anyone. Um, and I think that that's when it comes to talking about black characters, that often is the commentary that they're playing with. You know, the idea of like, what, what do end of the world stakes mean when oppressive systems exist and are, have been unacknowledged up until this point, you know? Um, that said, that's not the only commentary though, to your point that, has to exist in those types of stories. It's just something that I think a lot of creators have been playing with, you know, in the, in those types of stories that you've mentioned, the idea of like, what, what is actually, what are actually the stakes for black characters with magic and in the real world? Um, Like what are, what are the real stakes of oppression as opposed to just, you know, white people in, in those spaces, hypothetically in the past, who could just move through it's like ma- the magic is the only stakes. It's like, no, you know, in some ways that it's like additional stakes for fam, like your family is the stakes, you know, your community is the stakes um, and things like that. But I'd like to hear everybody else's thoughts on that as well. I think part of it is that 
we we have a narrative uh, system. We have like a narrative trend of needing conflict uh, in our stories, which is uh, something that is more focused in the West. Uh, there are different ways to tell stories that don't have that type of conflict, but this is the type of story that we're most familiar with over here. And so that's what publishers are trying to put out. And when whenever there is blackness present in a story, I think a lot of people feel, a lot of creators feel pressure to to, to ramp it up and to dig into the the history of that oppression and the consequences of it, uh, because I don't think it has occurred to publishers, big publishers yet, that uh, black people don't just want to be shown our pain over again in the media that we consume, uh, that sometimes we do just want to see people who look like us living comfortable but interesting and magic-filled lives. That just hasn't occurred uh, to us yet. And um, like Bezzy was saying, as there are more stories by and for black people that come out will have more options but we're gonna have to wait for that to build up okay so we i told you guys that this would just be an hour conversation but if we want to keep going we can keep going if you guys have somewhere else to be we can start to wind down it's up to you because i have more questions and i love this conversation where it's going but i don't want to you know take people's time um so to the speakers here, let me know. Um, if you got 10 more minutes, I can maybe sneak in one extra question or if we should just start to wind down here. I, got I can stay for another 15, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I, I got nowhere to be. It's a Saturday <laughs> night and I'm, I'm no, going nowhere. So <laughs> this is my preferred way to spend day. Saturday let's, night. Let's, let's talk about books uh, and fantasy. And, and that is... So this question is just for you, for everyone. Um, what do you think are, are good qualities that make up a fantasy, fantasy story or, or um, that make those stories like kind of like stick to your gut? You know what I mean? Like we, um, Kay said, Legendborn, and we all went, Bree! And I am still mad about Bloodmark. And Tracy, you know, we need to talk. I just want to talk. But, you know, what What are these kind of, what do you think are these, like, qualities that, like, a, a fantasy story has that kind of um, make them kind of, like, yes, this is what I'm here for? Magic. <laughs> for me, it's always been about the magic. I can't move things with my mind or teleport or shapeshift. And to be transported to a world where that is possible um, and to be able to imagine myself in that position, it has, and I'm not being hyperbolic here. Like it has uh, shifted my worldview and like, you know, I'm, I'm here today because of, because of fantasy books where I could remove myself from real life where I didn't have control over things to uh, imagining a, a situation where I, I could control stuff beyond my grasp. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily want to repeat anything I already said, so I'm not going to, but I think a part of it is for me in addition to what I've already said, there's something um very healing, I think, in the idea of exploring again the limits of the imagination which we talked which I talked about earlier, which we talked about earlier. Um 
because there's something about fantasy that it's and it's not the escape part of it just per se it's also about the like I don't know healing the inner child part of me where I'm like you know in some in a lot of these stories um in fantastical stories there's a, a wonder there's this idea of discovery and joy in the like discovering the fantastical like as the main character i i think you know it's funny the first thing that popped into my mind is like fern gully <laughs> which is not a black fantasy story per se but the idea of like as you're discovering the world with the main character of fern gully and many other like stories especially middle grade and young adult fantasy especially middle grade really um there's a excitement and wonder and joy that's happening because you're like, Oh, this is so cool. Like this, this is what can happen. This is what can happen to go to what to Dr. Moya said about magic. It's the, the magic of it all, but also the newness of it. The like, this is not something I've ever seen before that I think is really healing and, and touching and poignant to like dip into every time I read a fantasy story. Um, like tapping into the excitement and wonder about the world um, because real world and adulting can be a very cynical, you know, and like a, a dark frustrating experience, you know, where you're like frustrated with certain things and fantasy can be that escape. But it's also like rediscovering that excitement um, about a world. So as I was thinking about this question, like, actually, I, I, I did realize that there is something in particular about a fantasy story that will make me excited. And it's, and it's something that, like, I actually realize is very particular to fantasy. But um, for me, I can read other stories that don't have this. But I need a bomb first page or bomb first couple of page pages because I need to literally feel like I stepped through a doorway into and like it's almost like when you like if you've ever been um to another country like getting off the air airplane and stepping into the airport of another country and people are speaking a different language all around you and you have no idea which way is up it's like literally just getting dropped into this whole world like from jump and everything just like firing at you like if I don't have that if I don't have that sensory experience on the first page, it's probably not the fantasy book for me. And I can think of like, in particular, um, the inheritance of Orchidia Divina by uh, Zoraida Cordova, um, which is more of a magical uh, realism book. But like that first page, I read it like, it's been probably almost two years now. um, And I still, it's, haunts me it still haunts me like I think about the 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 letter that begins the letter like the invitation to um Orchidia's family uh all of the time because it it really was just like it sucked me all the way in and I was like I need to go all the way through this door I don't want to just like dip a toe in I like want to go all the way through the portal um and I think that might be actually why I like comics because like you get that big splash page that just like draws you in for the first for the first page it's like immediately like wants you to to come in and i don't think that's something that like i necessarily need from other types of story i don't stories i don't necessarily need that when i'm reading romance i don't necessarily need that for other types of narratives but for fantasy like that initial first page first sentence like i got to have it 
this also Raven, what you said reminded me of what again we talked about in our podcast, but um, that both of us grew up uh, in the church and like the Christian church, and I think another thing that I really loved about fantasy and that I find very interesting is not, and this is not limited to like fantasy that's playing on Judeo-Christian concepts and tropes, but like fantasy as a concept is the idea of the unknowable. Um, The idea that there is something inherently more than what we can see, touch and feel. Um, And I, I've all that I think fundamentally has been again, something that I've poked at, since I was a kid, the idea of like, you know, because that's how God is described in, in the Christian church, the idea that like the divine, but also, um, the book of revelation in the Bible is like a create, like it's feels fantastical. There's so much in it that doesn't make sense. And that's Mm -hmm. inherently unknowable. And when you're taught it, such that you are anyone saw it, you know, in a church setting, they're basically like kind of throw up their heads and they're like, you know, this and then there's revelation and as a kid to me i was like well wait a second like i (laughs) i i want i'm so interested now because that that grabbed me as a kid and i think has like latched onto my imagination has never let go the idea that there's something unknowable um that you can only allude to you know there's something like beyond language and someone can spend the entirety of their life trying to figure it out um, and we'll never figure it out. Um, I also was on a, I went to an event last week or two weeks ago. What is time really? I think it's, I think it was last week, uh, with Tracy Dion moderating, um, of fantasy authors and RF Kwong spoke on, um, this idea that like, there is a type of protagonist in fantasy and science fiction and speculative fiction that has a goldfish mentality, um, that they exist in an unknowable world. And instead of trying to, dominate that unknowable world the like sort instead of the colonial trope that is in a lot of fantasy of like people who go to other worlds and then try to conquer them this protagonist um just exists in that unknowable world and is like content with the unknowableness of it and is just kind of discovering it day by day and it's just kind of vibing you know (laughs) Um, and there's something inherently revolutionary about that idea of a protagonist that can exist that way because it is contrary to the tropes about colonization um that are so pervasive in speculative fiction um and i think that again is also i think part of where my imagination has been going recently because of that fascination with the unknowable is like how do you exist in a world that is unknowable can you can you discover what can you discover about it what can't you discover and how do you exist with knowing while knowing that you can't discover everything about it Mm -hmm. i love that I love that too. I I always think about for me, like that's one of the things about urban fantasy that really um, like always pulls me in is that idea of like the, this unknowable world, like it inside of the world um, you're just walking around living life. And yet, you know, there are vampires and and, uh, werewolves and all of these things just, you know, having whole adventures while I am, sitting at home, eating Cheetos. Um, And (laughs) I think one of the other things for me about, like, fantasy that, like, really sticks with you, um, I liked what you said, Dr. Moria, about the magic and just things being possible that were never possible 
are that are not possible in in our world. Um, but I also like the idea of being able to stretch yourself. Um, mm. And and I think this is a part of like those a lot of those stories with like the hero's journey or. Um, something that we see a lot in protagonists is having that kind of reluctant hero or the, I'm not that person. I'm not the center of attention. I'm not, you know, um, and then having to, because of circumstances, stretch the limits of, of what you think are possible. And I think that is something that, um, especially when you think about how it looks in our real life, um, being immersed in those worlds also gives you the capacity in the real world to stretch yourself and say like I never pictured myself as this kind of person but you know a large part of me speaking on panels and and doing those kinds of things was I was like I'm gonna give it a go and if it stinks and I hate it and it's all the terrible things that my anxiety tells me it's going to be then I'll never have to do it again but I'm 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 gonna stretch myself and I'm gonna try and I and then I loved it (laughs) and you can't get me to shut up and so I think those um, elements of fantasy are always really wonderful um, for me. Um, our, my last question is, are there Black fantasy stories that you think do both a good job of providing an escape and reflecting the real world? Um, this is like our, our recommendations part two, like just give me, give me those books or those, those shows or those movies that you think, um, just embody like the best of fantasy. So for me, um, and I actually feel like she's not someone I speak about a lot, but Justina Ireland, like anything she writes, um, especially in the YA space both is extremely escapist and makes you immediately want to go pick up a history book. And I, I think that is, huh? I just said, whoop, whoop, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, for real, like dread nation and deathless divide, like cracked my world open in a particular way. And like, I love that, that she is able to both provide that escape and then also make you really think about the kid like I mean like you have to really think about the conditions of which she could make a world of like (laughs) like of zombies and things like this post civil civil war or like you know post battle of Gettysburg seem really plausible right (laughs) like that's just very uh very good writing to me as someone who has a good grasp of both fantasy future and past I had to mute myself because I was running over to my bookshelf to get, to grab a book that I could reference. Um, but the the first one that came to mind was Bones of Ruin by Sarah Raleigh because um, it's whoop, whoop. another. Sorry, <laughs> I'm just cheering everybody on. Great, amazing recommendations. Love all I love this. the whoop whoop because um, <laughs> this one it's it's historical fantasy, and so it's an escape in the sense that it's getting me out of my modern technologically uh, flooded 21st century living. Uh, but it is very much set in the real world, but with a little bit of mysticism. Like it's 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 fantasy. L- light almost the main character cannot die and it's uh not really explained why or at least not in the first book so i'm really excited for the second one 
But then the other one, the other book that I ran over to my bookshelf to get was Cinderella is Dead by uh, Kaylin Theron. Um, these are just Yay. two books that I've read in the last year yes. that came to mind for this question. And, you know, it's a Cinderella retelling with a twist. Um, and that is rooted in this world because like everyone knows the story of Cinderella. Um, but it also provides an escape because it's, it's a new take on Cinderella. Like the, the idea is that, um, every year someone is chosen to be Cinderella, but then she's supposed to die. Um, and so that was just a, a nice, I think that when you can take stories that so many people are familiar with and you can turn them on their head in a way that's unexpected, um, that's, that's a really nice way to strike the balance between escapism, but also, um, familiarity and rooting in grounding in our, our everyday life. Yeah, I mean, y'all stole mine, so <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to say? Um, no, I, I mean, technically, I did already give Rex at the beginning, so I feel like I'll I'll just, you know, I'll leave those out there, and then everybody's, we already talked about Legendborn, because that's also near and dear to my heart as a marketer, as a reviewer, as a reader, um, so I, I have to say that, because um, I love it. And I think maybe one that hasn't been mentioned, uh, especially like in the middle grade space, would be maybe something like A Taste of Magic by JL, uh, which I really loved as, as a is a very sweet discovery of magic story. Um, I think JL's written several black fantasy stories. This one, I think, tapped into a different kind of, um, again, like, I guess like that, that sort of the middle there's a very middle grade sensibility approach to fantasy that I find really enjoyable and refreshing and exciting. Um, this idea of like what what is what is discovering magic like for a child and what do children do with it? Um, Taste of Magic does that really love in a lo- lovely way. Um, I'm reading Speculation by Nissi Shaw, which is about a black girl character whose glasses are magical. Um, and as a black girl with glasses, I'm immediately, you know, was hooked by the, ch- the, the cover and the premise. Um, like the, the, the glasses, when you see through them, you are seeing um, what you can imagine. And then the mm-hmm. like imagination can come true, but at what cost? Um, so I love that. Um, uh, and I'm also looking around my bookshelf and coming up with seeing if there's anything that hasn't been mentioned yet. Um, Last Gate of the Emperor by Kwame Mbalia is one, I was going to say one of the few, but I think it's literally the only one as of right now. Um, the, the, like, an Ethiopian uh, speculative fiction story that exists. Um, and as an Ethiopian-American, it meant a lot to me to see that that story existed, and it was really exciting to read. Um, uh, let me see if there's anything else. I don't know if there's anything else that hasn't been mentioned, and I think, but I think there's so many more. There's other rec- – that's not to say we covered everything, but just to say no. there's, there's a lot of exciting stories that exist out there um, that I've just – again, as a marketer in, who works in publishing and as a reviewer who reviews books and then also as a, like, reader and, like, lover of fantasy, it's just been so, so exciting in the past few years to see the industry explode with these stories and continue to explode. There's so much more to come um, in a way that we didn't have growing up at all. So uh, I, 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 those, that's only the tip of the iceberg of things that can exist um, to recommend. Absolutely. Can I recommend uh, like last thing? Cause I, so we talked about YA and middle grade 
fiction. I wanted to offer one thing that's nonfiction for people who are interested in sort of like thinking about and theorizing about fantasy. And it's somebody that Bezzy, I think, mentioned at the very top of the conversation. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we got we to gotta shout out Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, Dr. Ebony Elizabeth Thomas with um, The Dark Fantastic, Race the Imagination from Harry Potter to the Hunger Games. Um, mm-hmm. When I tell mm-hmm. you that if you're somebody that's like really thinking about um, some of the questions that we raised at the beginning of this talk, really thinking um, sort of, sort of about the thought work of of the fantasy and not necessarily just like the craft and the story as well because all of that's important but if you're somebody who's also thinking about um like really that critique aspect of it right like I would go check out um Dr. Thomas's book it's 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 great um so that's the one that I would recommend as a supplement to some of these things yeah, hard, hard, hard. Agree. It's, you know, I I can't believe it didn't come up until this point. Honestly, that's so funny. Um, but yes, absolutely, dark, fantastic, incredible. And also um, to Raven's point, way earlier. Um, and this is the last thing I say. I know we've already gone over way over, but um, to Raven's point earlier about Angeline Johnson, I didn't read um, Harry Potter growing up, but I was deeply one of the first fandoms I was in was the Merlin fandom and one of the first Mm. black fantasy characters that I ever saw on screen was Gwen and I deeply deeply connected to Gwen and Merlin um so much so that then the way the show ended up treating her as a child even without understanding the extent of why it was happening I was deeply like you know traumatized by the ending of the show um, mm-hmm. And not for the reasons that the rest of the Merlin fandom was, uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, Arthur and Merlin, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, what, what, is, what is this ending for Gwen? This is a terrible mm-hmm. ending for her. Um, and so that The Dark Fantastic has a chapter on her. Um, and it helped me work through my frustrations on that retroactively. And then also, like, I ended up citing it in my thesis because I wanted to talk about Gwen and unpack what about that character was so impactful um so anyway if you have those fandom characters that you grew up with in black fantasy um the dark fantastic addresses several of them and like talks through what the fandom looked like and how mm-hmm. those characters fell into this dark fantastic cycle wow thank you guys so much when you um talked about quinn from merlin my brain went also to abby mills and sleepy hollow mm-hmm. girl um, mm. <laughs> emotional damage Um, exactly (laughs) uh, but also I would say look we're going to write down and share these um, recommendations I think um, I was trying to keep up with them um, but I will also want to plug Portia at Portia she's down here right now Um, the plot thickens is the book review series that she does on uh, Black Nerds Create and if you're looking for something and it's magical. That's where I go. Um, that's mm-hmm. where I start. Um, so thank you guys so much. And thank you for staying a little bit longer. If you can just let us know where we can find you and um, anything exciting coming up that we should be on the lookout for. Um, love to hear about that. Um, I'll go. Uh, first, you can find me at being a bookworm, which is my handle on Twitter. It is also my handle on Instagram, where I do book reviews every once in a while. I've, I've been slow, but I still exist over there. Um, and uh, uh, you can also technically find me on TikTok. I don't do anything of 
note over there, though. Just vibes. Um, and I also occasionally write some stuff. Again, not as much, but I'm working on it. Um, and in terms of things you can look out for, as a, since I work in marketing and, and children's publishing and I'm passionate about black stories, I won't plug for me, but I will plug for um, one of our books coming up that I'm really excited for. Delicious Monsters by LaSalle Samsbury is a really exciting um, horror kind of thriller story, mostly like thriller mystery um, about a haunted house and black girls with a podcast. Um, and if some of this sounds familiar, it's definitely some of the elements that um, I found really intriguing about the book. Um, and there's an ending that you will never see coming. Um, as someone who is a scaredy cat, I enjoyed the book a lot and would recommend it. Um, it comes out in March. Nice. Um, I can go. Um, so you can find me at Raven Camilla um, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, on TikTok, I'm at Raven Stringfield for whatever reason. I couldn't get my like usual handle over there. But that's where you can find me on TikTok. I do some bookish stuff on TikTok sometimes. Um, I also have a website, uh, www.ravenkstringfield.com. Um, my writing is kind of all over the place, but like typically you can usually find me writing something over at Catapult. Um, I had a column on superhero girlfriends for, um, a time Leah Johnson, the author, um, if you know, you should see me in the crown was my editor for that, which was really fun. And then I think the biggest thing is that my debut young adult novel, um, love and 200 characters, 280 characters or less is forthcoming from Fywell and friends, Macmillan. Um, I think now in 2025, but it is forth, it's forthcoming. So if, if you want to check that out, add it on Goodreads. I know we're not really doing Goodreads anymore, but that's like the only place you can add it right now. Um, but that's me. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm absolutely going to pre-order that. Um, we got to get that on Storygraph because that's where I'm at. But <laughs> Story- Oh, I've never even heard of Storygraph. I feel oh so God. out of touch. It's on Storygraph. <laughs> is the Goodreads alternative, and it was also Black-founded, started by a Black woman. Oh, nice. Um, and the stats are wonderful. So <laughs> I will, I'm going to go add it to Storygraph when we get off of the spaces, <laughs> um, just so I can put it in my TBR. Um, yeah. Sorry. Dr. Moya. <laughs> no, I love that. Um, I am go Astro Mo across all the platforms. Um, I, I have a, a book out. If you're interested in space um, and, and like to laugh and don't mind being, I, I guess, condescended a bit by the Milky Way galaxy. I have a book called The Milky Way um, that's an autobiography of the galaxy. So I like pretended to be a galaxy for the last two years and then wrote about the history of the universe as the Milky Way. Um, but if you want to, to get into some of my world building work, which I think is most relevant to this panel, um, my podcast is called Exolore, E-X-O-L-O-R-E. Um, one episode that I would recommend you start with is all the way back from the the first season. It's called The World of Freedom, where I invited three black scholars to imagine a world with me where the Atlantic slave trade never happened because the world was just physically too large. Like there was too much space between land masses for any sort of slave trade like that to happen. Um, And we were like, what would a diaspora look like? Um, And it was very cathartic for me so um exolore is is out there awesome thank you guys so much i'm excited to check out 
your books, to check out your projects. And I hope everyone listening does the same. Thank all of you for tuning into the spaces and join us for our next Black Magical History Month event, which will be a Quick Quills Creative Sprint on February 17th at 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be creating together, so bring your laptop, your sketchbooks, knitting, whatever you're working on, whatever you want to work on. Um, It's just going to be a time to focus and create in community. And uh, to keep up with Black Nerds Create and Black Magical History Month, please follow us at BLK Nerd Create on Twitter, at Black Nerds Create on IG and Tumblr, and use the hashtag Black Magical History. Um, that's where we are. And if you want to have more in-depth community, more option, um, more opportunities to create in communities, um, you can join our Discord. You can sign up and find our guide, our community guidelines at bnc-community.com. Again, bnc-community.com. And thanks again. Uh, thank you to Dr. Moya, to Raven, to Bezzy for all of your wonderful insights, all of your um, gems of knowledge and joining us today. Um, this was such a great, great hour and a half. Um, and I'm very, very pleased that I got to spend it with you. Um, Thank you to our community. Thank you to everyone celebrating Black Magical History Month. Um, And we will see you on the internet.